Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Elite Rugby Banter. Uh, this is a podcast where we talk about rugby, stealing Adam's famous introduction. And as always, uh, we are joined by Phil and um, the bird representing Andrew. How's you guys going? How's your weekend been? You're pretty good, thanks, Ant. Uh, happy to see you're back in one piece in Cape Town, but um, I'm enjoying some warmer weather and otherwise some decent rugby. Yeah, that was a bit of an adventure to get back in one piece. Uh, I didn't realise that COVID was still very much popular. Thank God they have just changed their regulations. So if anyone's travelling there, make sure you're getting your negative PCR test. I almost got it out. Uh, but, you know, speaking of Angola, what's bird life like? Just a southern hemisphere wingspan creator. Still waiting for that, by the way. Yeah, I'm still waiting for that too. Um, no, I've, I've had a great evening, to be honest. I ordered some Chinese takeout. I cracked open the Age of Empires old school game. And now I'm drinking a whiskey, so I've had a great time. <laughs> I don't know if I should be concerned with the power of your laptop that is still able to run old age vampires. Yeah, How is it able to do that and <laughs> You can get it on Steam, so um, yeah, pretty pretty cool. You can also get Wingspan on Steam, by the way. Great game. Is that, is that, is that a subtle plug? Subtle plug, yeah. Not so subtle anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, if we were, we're just screenshot and post this. He's, he's wearing his bird life T-shirt, so he is very much golf shirt. So he's, he's a formal employee, um, and very much repping the brand. But I think we can use it as a launchpad and just go straight into the news. There's a fair bit to cover, and quite a lot of it's broken in the last um, little bit. And I think we can start with something that's maybe on topic, given you are Chinese for lunch. Um, uh, on topic in the sense that it's also Eastern Hemisphere. But Adi Severa signed the contract to go to Japan after the 2023 World Cup. Um, doesn't seem too unusual given you know there's been quite a few top flight all blacks um, that have headed across there for a bit of a um, a bit of a financial boost. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you think Ali's well, going to be as successful as some of the behemoths such as an Archeus Neyman or a Retallic just running and ghosting through people, or do you reckon that he'll take it easy on the Japs? Surely not. I mean, he's he's gonna he's gonna be immense over there. That okay, has a work rate second to none. He's a man monster. He's he's gonna go wild. Yeah, I don't think he's capable of uh, going into second gear. I think you know he's the type of guy who gives 100 percent in everything that he does. Probably on the weekends, you know, when he's like mowing his lawn, he's just as industrious as on the field. <laughs> Leg driving everything, no electrical assist there. Um, it'll be interesting to see him and Kwaka going against each other for number eight. The two kind of maybe smaller stature, but all work rate, all work rate number eights facing off. Um, obviously, Kwaka doesn't get much of a chance to do that for the box against Hardy, so that'll be interesting. Um, but speaking about Japanese based players, uh, they have been released for the box final test uh, against England. Um, the Strongest are playing five test matches at the end of the year, um, only three of which would fall within the test window. So our first match. Um, and our final match, uh, we will be have a limited squad from which to choose from. Um, at least we do have a, a fairly big boost from Japanese-based players, which is a surprisingly extensive list. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but you know, looking at guys like uh, Lewis, Jesse Creel, as mentioned before, um, yeah, Marks. So this is you know a significant strengthening of the squad as a result of that. Um, so I think we can be very grateful to the Japanese league for releasing those players, and I think he has expressed that that gratitude. Um, I think Australia are in a similar problem. 
Um, however, and, and I think that that's why their Japanese-based players aren't being considered for the Gitto law. But, you know, obviously, given they've only got a window of three players, it, it affects them a little bit less. Um, and it's probably actually a good pivot into the next piece of news. The Wallaby squad has been announced. Hooper is back in the squad after his mental health break. Um, however, he's not being selected as captain, which probably seems to make sense given the workload, the stress load that captaincy would bring. So James Slipper retains that. Um, but the talking point that's probably brought in the most amount of attention on Aussie forums, at least, is the return of Phil Skelton. And he's been obviously in a pre period form in Europe for the last couple of years, winning, I mean, he's won three European titles now. Um, was close to being man of the match in this year's final win over Leinster. However, when he was selected in the Tour last year, he was quite lackluster, I think, to say the least. Um, so there's a, a big divergence in opinion between, obviously, his very, very good club form, but you know, never really replicating that at test level. What do you guys think of that selection? And are there other locks potentially they should have been picking? I've been seeing some calls for Kane Douglas or Rob Simmons even um, to boost up their second row. Um, I, I think Will Skelton, you know, just based on his sort of physicality and bulk that he brings, he's not a bad option. But I, I do agree that he sort of failed to bring the impact that they would have hoped every time they have played him in the last couple of years when he's since he's been overseas. Um, it's just one of those positions for Australia, I think, where they have a lot of decent locks without having any, like, um, outstanding locks and Skelton is potentially one even though he hasn't really performed to that potential um but you know they've got the lot of hard workers you know I know Matt Phillip Andrew you're a big fan he's whenever he plays for Australia he always puts in a massive shift but he yeah I think his potential his ceiling is not quite as high um I I I, if I was Australian I wouldn't be unhappy with calling up Skelton yeah I mean Will Skelton's Done really well overseas. Um, he was hugely hyped when he first came on the scene, like just out of school. He was like 130 kilos and massive and had this incredible schoolboy highlights reel of just mincing oaks. But uh, he hasn't he hasn't translated that on the highest stage internationally, but I think he has it in him. I mean, he has matured as a player and as a person. Uh, as Phil says, I'm a big Matt Phillip fan. I think this is probably just going to limit Matt Phillips' opportunities even more. Um, I see Ned Hannigan's been brought back into the squad. Um, some would say a very Andrew player, given my draft history and uh, love-hate relationship with Ned Hannigan and Bryce Hegarty and others. Uh, he's another option uh, at lock. Um, yeah, I mean, and you, you sent around an article this morning about where Australia went wrong in the rugby championship, and a lot of the chat is about having a regular uh, solid lock pairing. Uh, they've rotated there a lot recently. Um, so I think the Australian fans are hoping that they can settle on a combination and really uh, knuckle down and, and get some hard work done because it seems to be what they're missing. 100%. And with lineups being such an effective launch pad for most attacks these days, not having consistent lock pairing. I mean, look at Springboks. We've had Lurt and Etzbeth together from 2015. Look at the All Blacks. They've had Brody and Sam since 2013. Um, even Marotoje and, and Johnny Hill, you know, that most test nations have a really strong established set of locks. Um, and as you say, you know, one of these have gone through, I think, five or six this year. And I mean, not all of that's been by selection, obviously, with Darcy Swain deciding he prefers not playing more than playing and a couple of guys behind the injuries. You know, I think that's probably been the, one of these frustrations the whole year that they're just 
get too many injuries to build up combinations. But I mean, even looking at locks, you know, they had Rory Arnold for a while, who had impressed. Now they're playing a different overseas player. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see whether they can just pick a combination and, and kind of stick with it until the World Cup. And you know, as we say, if, if Skelton can play the, the the potential we know he has, he'll be very very effective. Um, but that's yeah, a very big if given given the form record. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see see how that plays out. Um, but the probably globally the biggest talking point of the week, um, following from from Worcester's quite abrupt ejection from the Premiership last week, is Wasps following them. Um, this is potentially less of a shock given it's been on the verge for a while, um, potentially, and, and maybe a slightly different uh, background to it. But you know that's another. I think this, I've read a stat that said 185 people losing their jobs immediately. Um, it kind of was announced this afternoon that it is officially happening, that they are being perhaps searched. Yeah, it's a huge loss of, of two teams um, almost immediately, and it's prompting a lot of conversations around the sustainability of rugby players, or, or rugby as a sport, and, and I suppose the salaries that players are, are demanding. Um, which of you are going to draft a WASP player in the very near future? For me, if someone like uh, Vincent Koch comes available, which, you know, given that he played or played for the Wasps, it's a good chance. Um, that he Didn't get a... Sorry? Did he actually get in the field? Did he get a made, cap in the end? I think he made his debut like a week or two weeks ago, so he's <laughs> either got like one or two caps. But he was a big money signing. I mean, going back to what you were saying, it's like, I, I just don't understand how there's no sort of... I don't, I don't know how, how their financial systems work, but yeah, it doesn't make too much sense to me. But yeah, uh, from a South African perspective, I think they also have um, Berger Odendal and Pontoa Hochart, who I'd probably be less keen to pick up in my draft, but you know, other options are available, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, there's also... You wouldn't want Berger Odendal to replace Marius Lowe at the Lions. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy with Marius Lowe so far, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, that's been a big change in change of opinion. You were not excited at the start of the season. I mean, he's been okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Tim, you're your tune there, Dave. Um, speaking of it, I did hear that Vincent Pop is rumoured to be heading to France. Um, you know, I mean, it seems to be the right place for him. You know, they love tight heads, so at least he'll fit in and feel at home there. Um, Andrew, who do you have your eye on there? The only other South African I can see on the squad is uh, Nizam Carr, who he's a workhorse. I mean, he'll earn you graft points, but uh, he's he's probably past his prime now. I was just looking at the the squad sheet on the Wasps website, and Vincent Cock doesn't even have a photograph yet. That's that's how that's how involved he's been at the club. I couldn't afford a photograph. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, I mean. It's unfortunate he's never going to get a, a, an official photo of the kit. I wonder if he's got an ID to at least hang on the wall and, and keep in records there. Um, but speaking of people, I suppose, not quite quitting, but this was quite a big bombshell that dropped last week is Paul Delport quitting as women's sevens coach. Um, as our residence women's um, correspondent, Andrew, you can potentially share a bit more detail around that. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the initial news that came out of SA Rugby was like, oh, we've we've decided to part ways and Paul Dalport's been an amazing servant to rugby and we wish him all the best and it seemed all good. And then Paul Dalport came out with his own statement and was like, no, I'm quitting because SA Rugby have no interest in developing 
uh, women's rugby and especially women's sevens, uh, basically saying that at the, the last World Cup sevens, um, I think South Africa came 14th and then Colombia 15th and Madagascar 16th or something. Anyway, the the point was that the the first 13 teams in the, in the Rugby World Cup had professional setups, and the last three teams, which included the Springbok women, uh, had semi-professional setups. And and he's just saying he's been going for five years now, drumming you know that same beat of we need to go professional, we need to contract in women, we can't have the same women playing 15s and sevens. It's just unsustainable and unprofessional. Um, and he and he says he's quitting because he's just banging his head against the wall and getting nothing done, and he's can't can't put these these women through this anymore. So really pretty damning um, stuff from him. And he also said there's there's been literally no one at SA Rugby apart from Lynn Cantwell, the high performance director for women, who's actually reached out to him um, to since his resignation. So not not all is well in women's rugby, um, despite the fact that we came agonizingly close to our first win this past weekend but uh, i don't want to steal your segue well i already have but yeah <laughs> you, you, you already have stolen the segue so you can might as well just continue on there please fill us in the details of our yeah, agonizing loss to fiji yeah it wasn't a game i was able to catch live unfortunately i was away for the weekend um i mean we've been earmarking this game for a long time for uh, a win um we never expected to to beat france they're one of the top teams in the world um, our next opponents are arguably the best in the world. So, yeah, this this game against the Fijiana was going to be our our big chance. And at at 80 minutes, we were winning, um, courtesy of a, a last gasp, Libby Jans van Rensburg penalty, um, which she slotted under a hell of a lot of pressure. And then Fiji came back and, and scored a try to win the game. Um, so well done to them. It is their first World Cup win. So either way, history was going to be made. It's just a little bit sour being on the on the losing side and knowing we have the potential and we just haven't um, you know pulled through and, and managed to pull off a an eighty an eighty two minute performance to to secure the win. Yeah, it is very very disappointing. Um, I think I think this this last couple of months, uh, including the pre-games, you know, it shows that there is a lot of a huge amount of talent in South African women's rugby, um, which I suppose is even more reason why getting the proper structures and professionalism in place to support that, um, you know, will make a difference. I mean, if you again, if you look at England 15s, um, who are fully professional, I think they're one of the only teams that are, they're whatever, sitting on a 26-game winning streak or something ridiculous, and are kind of expected to walk with the tournament. And they did, they were run pretty close by France in the end, but you know, if you if you're late to that party, it's going to be incredibly hard to catch up. Um, as kind of most teams are finding that relate to the professionalism game on the men's side, like once you're behind the eight ball, it's very very difficult to get enough grassroots players through at enough of a rate to, to keep up um, and being competitive. So we are behind. It would be great if we could um, get those structures in place, and hopefully this has shown enough promise that maybe we should. Um, should invest in that a little bit more. So I'm not sure if you've got any more thoughts on that. Um, just to sort of link it all together, and I don't know if it's 100% correct, but it does feel like, you know, the investment in at least the 15, uh, 15s game has been improving. So I wonder if, like, some of the resources have been moved away from 7s where they were before, and that's part of Paul Delport's frustration. I mean, there has been a clear improvement in the 15s version. So... 
uh, it's a tough one to balance both when your player pool is a bit smaller. Like our, our in the men's game, obviously, there's a lot more professional players or players who play at a level past you know school and all of that. So just based on the player pool, I think it's a tough one to get the balance right. But uh, overall, at least you know with the 15s game, we can see that clear improvement and hopefully. Even though there are probably no wins at this World Cup, hopefully we're moving on to bigger and better things. Yeah, no, I, I agree there. Um, and maybe it's harsh the phrases that you use this in this big way, but, but speaking of better things, at least in terms of Springbok brands, the male Springbok squad or provisional training squad was released today with surprisingly more talking points than I think anyone expected at this point. Obviously, it's a training squad, you know, it's going to be the core group of players that have been working together in the squad for, for ages, but um, they were kind of two or three names that were that were dropped that I think raised some, some eyebrows. The first was Jan Kulsen being included as the only specialist fly-off, which meant obviously the uh, non-selection of Elton Yankees. Um, but the other name that kind of was on people's lips was Sashin Gomzelu, uh, which is interesting given, you know, he's still kind of in his not quite debut season of, of Super Rugby, but, and, you know, he's 19 years old. Um, but he was definitely mentioned by Russia at the press conference, so this kind of suggests that he will definitely be at least in the SAA squad. Um, so, yeah, I mean, let's start with, with the obvious uh, elephants in the room is who's going to be the Springbok fly-off if, you know, obviously Pollard's not there, Willems's, you know, utility, Alton's not in the squad. We can, and you did some reading about that. Maybe we can start by, you can, you can share some of the, the contract instructions that are in place and, that prevented his selection. So, I mean, the Springbok uh, coaching staff, and I'm including Rassi Erasmus in that, even though he's director of rugby and not the coach, um, take note, uh, <laughs> rugby pass. Um, he, he, he did a press conference, uh, I think it was this morning, um, saying that they're only not selecting Alton because he hasn't been playing rugby, because uh, he's based in Japan. And they can't compare him to the other fly halves in terms of form and performance. Um, they say there's nothing, the door is still open for him. There's there's no personal issues. I mean, I, I don't know if I buy that 100%. Um, he, he has, like, the experience and he's been backed in the past. Why wouldn't they back him now? Because um, he's a known quantity. It's not like you need to see Alton play rugby to know what he can do at this point, you know? Um, so I, I don't buy it 100%. But the other interesting thing that, that Rossi offered up apparently without being asked was that Elton's not um, contracted by SA Rugby and apparently since 2019 like not uh, the, the players aren't contracted centrally anyway but he's also not marked as a player of natural national interest which sounds harsh but that is reserved for uh, South African based players so um, it seems like Rossi was sort of jumping through hoops to explain why Elton wasn't there rather than I think dealing with head on the real reason is that it would be a you know a distraction to the rest of the squad and, and maybe burn some bridges now. Um he, it's not his first uh incident. Um he had the altercation on the airplane as well and um he's got a stiff haircut. So I think he's just not a very good uh presence in the camp at the moment. And um well that that being said, you know that they've brought Zinat Simji the, the dietitian back on board no problem. So yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's I, I feel like it's smoke and mirrors. Rossi's trying to use rugby reasons not to not to select him. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the not having played or being based in Japan doesn't really 
hold so much because there are also other players who are based in Japan and haven't played as much with the Springboks who are in the squad. So, but uh, I, yeah, it sounds like they're sort of, you know, using their wits to try and get around the potentially sticky situation. So, yeah, I, I, I think with Kursum, the only named fly half, I would expect that Willemsa has a good chance to play some games at 10. You know, I think that's a bit odd, though, you know, if you're playing 10 for the Stormers. And the, what does that talk about? You know, the prospects of, you know, most actually, to be honest, of the local flyers who are playing pretty well. Um, obviously, Manuel Burke, Buddha Chamberlain, um, both Jordan and Jordan Hendricks and uh, Johnny Lombard. You know, we actually, everyone's, all the flyers, um, except maybe the Bulls flyers this weekend, if we get there, um, have kind of performed consistently so far this URC. So it's not like we've got a dirt of options. It's just none of them obviously have got any test level experience at all, to be honest, much senior level experience. They're all quite raw. I mean, apart from Manu Lobok, but even he's never really been first choice until the last year. So, I mean, yeah, if you guys had to, had to bet your house on which two would you, yeah, of that group, do you reckon will go to the World Cup? Andre should be back, right, by the World Cup. He's, he's, well, I mean, yeah, I suppose he was back for Leicester last weekend when he got injured again. Andre will be back to the cup. This is a relatively minor injury, I think, for one of the new guys. Yeah, I mean, if, if Andre is fit, I think Andre will play. Um, I think Khusin at the moment is number two. Uh, Willems are probably number three. Uh, but I think there's maybe a spot open for someone who impresses for the SAA or or during the, the URC. I think you've named four fly halves there who who have a shot. I mean, they're, they're all young and inexperienced and, and not exposed at the highest levels, but any of Marnie, Butta, Jordan or Gianni at this point could force their way in, I think. What, what's your what's your pecking order? Uh, so so I would say based on performance, um, Marnie Lubbock's shown it now last season. He was the top point scorer. Uh, he's looking good again this season. Um, the, the question always is, he plays it a very different game at the Stormers. Can he play it at the Springboks? Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I think out of those four, Lubbock is probably in pole position if it comes to having to choose another fly half. I think out of the two Lions guys, um, Lombard has shown uh, like sort of greater control at, at 10, like controlling the game, but also really, really good defense, which I think is obviously prized quite a lot at international level. So probably, and a little bit more experience, so he probably has the nod over uh, Hendrickser. And yeah, I think Buddha Chamberlain just hasn't really seemed to get too much of a look. And he's also improving, and I think he'll probably do a lot better when he's surrounded by more experienced players and now that the Springboks are back. So I'm quite excited to see how he pushes on based on his performance this weekend too. Yeah, I mean, I think Chamberlain's, he's going in a nice steady kind of like improvement. You know, he's not not doing the odd moment of incredible brilliance that say, you know, Hendricks came on the scene with last year, but he's kind of consistently been performing at a, at a decent level. He hasn't really had a shocker. Um, and he's had you know, one or two signs that he's got more to his game, um, that, and yeah, hopefully, as you say, that that gets developed and brought out as more experienced heads comes around them. Um, so, yeah. So if we can, I mean, there's there's one other thing to consider, here, and that's like none of these young fly halves have played with any of the incumbent Springbok players in the positions inside and outside of them, because 
Fast based overseas, Damien Dallander's based overseas, JC Krill's based overseas. Um, so combinations are really difficult, slotting in new tens as well. It's not like there's some some natural understanding between the players. I mean, the closest you're going to get is like Marnie Leboc and, and Damien Willemser playing together. But I don't think oh. we're going to see Damien Willemser at 12. Can you put Jade Hendrickson with Putter? Yeah, they played this weekend. Yeah, yeah, no, sure, that that is a good shot. Um, and then you'll have Un coming back at some point, I guess. I mean, he's not 12. Yeah. And the you know, so that's a fair spread of, of bring Mokish back like those one group. Um, but no, I mean the, the point is very valid. Um, that that yeah, those combinations aren't aren't entrenched there. Um, so yeah, I think look, I think I think that that's going to be one of the key talking points for the end of your tour, and we'll probably get into do a full kind of Springbok preview dive in a, in a later episode. But it'll be interesting to see which way they go at 10 um, down the line. But I suppose one of the things we wanted to get to this week um, is to potentially try out a different angle of the format rather than break down every match, um, you know, kind of blow by blow. We're rather going to focus on just kind of overall standout players, people that, you know, performed above their level that, you know, need to kind of get a look at. Um, and then a couple of players that were disappointed in, uh, over the last weekend who thought, you know, probably should have played a bit better or maybe lost a little bit of loss or shine relative to their, their previous performance. So, um, you kick that off. I think let's let's go to um, Paul. Who was who your kind of like, what is, uh, to, to use um, Tar's long uh, picture, who are your winners and losers this weekend? We'll start with winners. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I was just mentioning him now. So, I thought Blue Chamberlain had his best game of the season so far. Um, so, he is my first winner. I think uh, he controlled the game. I mean, it's obviously slightly easier when your team is doing a bit better, but especially in the second half um, when they pushed forward, he was at the heart of everything. He had one really, really nice break where they sort of had a set move and he came around the back and cut through and then had the assist for the final pass, I think it was to Formic. Um, and just overall, he looked a lot more composed and better uh, with ball in hand, but also controlling the game. So I was impressed with him. And like I said, I'm hoping that he keeps going and pushes forward and really is able to improve his game like week on week. How old is, is Witten now? I mean, like how much? I, I think yeah. he's 22 or 23. 23. But, uh, yeah. He's 20, 23. Oh, okay. Um, so, okay. I think he's still... Okay. It feels like he's been there a whole lot longer than that. I mean, I feel like we've we've been hearing his name, Curry Cup level, on the bench for Super Rugby, now URC. I'm surprised he's that young, actually. He's he's actually, he's been at the Sharks a while. Yeah, I think he had a long-term injury quite early in his career. Um, but kind of since, what, last year at URC um, with Bosch, I think he got an injury. Like, what's kind of been nailed on his doctor you know, for the most part, and certainly I think I've, I've performed Bosch. I mean, I don't even know if Bosch is injured still or if he's just you know, not even getting a look in. I mean, I think we'd be surprised if he not to be playing if he was available, but you know, if Butcher played the way he is, I mean, I've, I've, I don't feel, I don't hear or see anyone calling for Bosch to be rushed back into the team, um, you know, which probably speaks quite a lot about the general view on, on Chamberlain. Um, yeah. Is anyone else you feel that was particularly impressive? Yeah, the other two that I would like to mention, I think that we can group them together, Frank uh, Horn and Quan Horn from the Lions, so both the Horns, um, representing the party, but uh, you know, they, they both had pretty good games, um, 
I and I've been enjoying them all season, to be honest. Um, I think especially Con Horn's flown slightly under the radar, especially with Hinkoff and Bake sort of being a bit more prominent so far this season. Um, Hinko had a decent game, other than his, uh, I would say, very stupid yellow card. Um, maybe just a, a little bit of um, a rush of blood to the head for a, a youngster. But um, yeah, no. So Quan Horn, firstly, um, he took his try really well. He, um, but he, he's what I really like about him is that he he does all the basics really well. Firstly, so like especially decision making. That's like number one for me. If the player makes good decisions, then from there everything else you know sort of can go a bit more smoothly. So he does that. I was skeptical that he's played left wing or that he started the season at left wing, seeing that he only played fullback last year. And I'm still convinced that he should be a fullback. Um, and I'll get into one of my losers a bit later. Spoilers, Lions fullback. Um, but yeah, he, he's still managing to play well on the on the wing. I don't think he's the quickest, but he's still quick enough to play wing. So I don't think he's suited to it properly. Uh, but I think fullback will be his best position, and he carries on just doing everything right. And then um, the other horn, Franco Horn, he had a monstrous game. He um, he was everywhere. He ran, tackled, just every carry that he had, he sort of made meters. Um, it was probably the best game that I've seen him have. I, I like him, but I'm not his biggest fan in terms of um, thinking that he uh, will push on to you know, greater honors. I, I don't really see him as a Springbok just because I don't think at Springbok level he'll he can bring quite enough to the table. Like I don't think he has enough outstanding qualities. And I, I would love to be proven wrong. We'll see how that goes. But I thought he had an, a really really good game on Saturday. And if he can keep that level up, then he can start pushing. I, I did enjoy his 80 meter try. Um, I was just waiting for someone to charge chase him down, and he just managed to keep going. So I was a a very enjoyable, you know, everyone loves an 80-meter uh, yeah, forward try. Um, but no, I agree with both of those names. I mean, I, I was I kind of, as I landed, I managed to get the phone out and was watching the game. And it was just those two were all over the show. Uh, kind of most of the stuff that the Lions were doing right, those two were involved in it. Um, so, you know, both came over with a couple of tries. So, yeah, definitely agree with both of those. Um, yeah, I think I'll jump in next with my winners. And I think the, the first probably quite easy, obvious one is Ivan Etzebeth. Um I mean, it's difficult to be in the winners column when you consistently perform brilliantly. But I mean, first game for the new club, um, a man of the match performance and just absolutely dominating in every single facet. Like, it's pretty hard to have a better debut than that. And I think it's just completely solidified. Um, yeah, his status, in my mind at least, is, is one of the form, form players in the world. Um, I think, you know, his form of the spring office has been imperious. And just to translate that directly into the test, into the, sorry, the, the Sharks jersey has been impressive. Potentially, this should actually go to Marco Mazzetti's mom, the winners, um, because she was the one that got him there. Um, they had a, had a lovely photo after the game of, of him picking her up. Um, as, as a small thank you for telling her son to, to contact him. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, look, he certainly seems happy down there. Um, he seems to really be thriving on the environment. He seems to be really stoked to be back with his, you know, best mates here. Um, I suppose it, you know, it's probably just reinforces and talks to the culture that the Sharks are building there. Um, let's just let's hope that they can actually translate that. I think that's kind of everyone's view is that they've got all the players, they've got the culture, they've got the vibe. They just really need to start consistently putting together the, the results. And you know, an, a forty-point win over a Glasgow side that pounded the Bulls last week is probably a 
a good starting point on that. Um, not sure if you guys have anything to add uh, on on Etzebeth specifically. Not so much on Etzebeth specifically, but I thought you know the, one of the big questions before the weekend was how the Sharks were going to bed in some of their spring box. Because um, they had a, a number of them coming back this week, and one of the guys I picked up um, off the bench was Bongi. Um, you know, Bongi's had not his best run of form for the Springboks in in recent times. He's been okay, but he's been completely outshadowed by or um, by by Malcolm Marks, of course. Um, now that he's for a fair chunk of time, but yes. Yeah, I know, sure. Um, um, but he's he's been streets ahead of Dweber, but we know Bongi where he can be. Um, and he came yep. back into the Sharks outfit, also um, playing his first game and just absolutely looked so hungry. And I think Bongi's at his best where he's showing that real mongrel, you know, where, he, where his head's in the game and he, he's putting his head in sort of the dark places where others feel to go. And he, he really looked like he he wanted to be out on that field. And I think that's that's great to see Bongi back with a bit of an attitude um, bit of a you know, hard edge to him again. Um, that was encouraging for me. And, and you've, of course, got to try off the back of a more, which we know he's an expert at. And that, that shark pack was really just humming. I mean, some of those scrums were just, I mean, just straight over the Glasgow pack and some of the malls as well. So, I mean, it was, you know, I suppose one would be interested to see how that's, you know, can they back up that forward performance week to week? Uh, but, I mean, if you look at that, that scrum on paper, I mean, it's, it's a formidable number of names, so they, you know, they really, they really should be able to, to kind of mince most teams in front of them. I think so. Yeah, hopefully Bongi gets a few more meat pies as the season goes on. Um, the other player that I wanted to mention, um, even though this is not meant to be a South African focused uh, segment, it kind of has been for the day, and this guy kind of probably ticks both boxes. Uh, but Dion van der Merwe, uh, similar to Etzebeth, um, you know, debut very impressive, but I think considering. You know, obviously, his, um, I'm sure the stress and the drama he's been through for the last month uh, as one of the players that you know had a contract cut from Worcester, um, moving back to Edinburgh and very impressive, um, yeah, de- well, re-debut. I mean, he's, I think he's second on the all-time try scoring list now. So, you know, he obviously kind of made, started his career there, but yeah, had a very impressive double. Um, and this could probably just be extended to the extended to the Emra back three in general. I mean, Buffelli was obviously flying for the Argentinians. Darcy Graham was tearing it up last year and continued that form now. And then adding uh Van der into that mix, I mean that's it's a very, very potent um triple international back three. And I think most clubs would be very uh, envious to be able to feel the back three of that kind of power. Yeah, and let's let's not forget they've got um Wes Coulson waiting in the wings, as it were, and Cole Forbes, who's actually been really, really good until he's been displaced now by Bofelli. So Edinburgh are looking like proper heat in the back line. Um, their their centres as well, pretty decent. Uh, two, two or three Scotland internationals there. Yeah, Duan was immense. I mean, he I thought he started the game not so great. Um, I watched the first half, and, and Edinburgh were only... In the 39th minute, they were winning 5-3, and they ended up putting 50 on Benetton. So um, it was a second half. Sorry? That was the Benetton side that last week we were all talking up as, you know, that you shouldn't be writing off. (laughs) Exactly. And, and, I mean, Duan really came into his own eventually, um, scored some great tries, uh, really physical, abrupt, like abrupt. 
um, good in the contact. Yeah, just the Duan we know and, and love to watch. Um, and with a little bit of bitterness because, you know, he did a post-match interview and he's, he's, he's picked up a bit of a Scottish twang somehow, but it's still... He's still rolling his R's like a burki from the <laughs> from the, from, from yeah. South Africa. So um, yeah, and, and speaking of doing kind of movement breaking records, I'd also like to make special mention for VPNL who broke into the top ten try scoring records for Edinburgh as well by scoring. And he's <laughs> also the top um, forward try scorer for them. So he's you know he's become such a household name over there in Edinburgh. Obviously also. Former Cheetahs uh, player back in the day now. It feels like years and years sure. ago. How old was Bifinal? Sorry, WP now. <laughs> yeah, he, I feel like he must be like early to mid 30s, like 36. Yeah, that explains it. But he's still going so strong, eh? Like he's um, not just scrums and stuff, but mobility around the, around the field. Very impressive. Yeah, I love is, is if you go to his page, it's obviously got height, weight, spouse. But then what it tells you is the marriage location. That's obviously a frequently Google piece of information about the FTNL. Uh, the answer came down to those for those that are wondering. Yeah, I think it's it's funny how the Edinburgh prop stocks are of PNL, Pierre Schumann or Schumann, if you're a Scottish commentator apparently. And then Buen Fenter and Luan de Brain. It's like did they, they have did, a type. They have a type. Yeah, did they not produce props in Edinburgh? I, I don't I don't really understand what's going on. The Glasgow surely need to share with them. <laughs> I, I, I think they just know how comparative advantage works. <laughs> yeah, that, that 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 could be the case. Um yeah. Uh, guys, do you have any more winners that you'd like to mention before we shift on to the, the losers? Um, I mean, we, we mentioned Marnie Lebok earlier, and he's in the Springbok squad. Well, not in the Springbok squad. He's in the Springbok conversation. Um, I, I felt like, you know, it's a bit weird giving a winner title to someone who played for the defending champs and got a draw against Ospreys. But I, I thought he adapted his game plan actually quite well. He kicked 100% off the tee, which kept the, kept the Stormers in the game. Um, and... A lot, a lot of the questions have been like, can Marnie play a more conservative, kicking-based, territory-based game? Because that's that's the Springbok blueprint at the moment, um, mixed with moments of magic. But he, yeah, he he's been known for this expansive uh, play and making runs and, and putting people into gaps. And I felt he did adapt quite well, which which gave me a bit of hope that maybe we will see him in in Springbok colours towards the end of the year. Um, so I thought he, he deserved a bit of a mention. Not not that he was outstanding in his performance. I just thought he, he did pretty well to adapt uh, given the circumstances. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he did a pretty good job. I think Stormers as a whole will be disappointed that they let that one slip, let their lead slip. But I I don't think any of the fault would be on him. I think uh, just quickly, like comparatively, obviously the Sharks had a few more spring months, but Stormers still brought on Kitchoff and couple of other big names, Dweber, and they weren't quite able to have the same sort of impact. So just as a whole, I think the Stormers are disappointed to not be able to just maintain their lead, in, in, especially in those poor conditions. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, I mean, it's kind of weird to think about where we are at this point in time. Last year, I think this time last year, we still maybe had one win on the road, and now we're kind of being like, no, the short Stormers, Stormers should have beaten a team with Alan and Jones in it overseas. 
and they're disappointed to come away with the draw. So it's but it just talks to the, the change in mindset. Um, but yeah, I think if that wraps up the, the winners, we could probably shift on to the losers. Um, I didn't catch the game, but it, it seems like potentially Evan Ruiz didn't have his greatest game in the wet. Um, do you think that's a indication of him maybe being in a kind of a flat track where he primed and suited for dry conditions and can't quite mix it up in the, the tough and grind when you know maybe some other players can? And that might talk to some of the Springbok kind of not exclusions, but a lot of game time. Or do you think this was an indication of that type of play? I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a big Evanrose fan. I've made no 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 uh, effort to conceal that fact. But I think the fact that Elric Lowe's been invited to the Springbok camp um, in Stenbosch ahead of or without Evanrose being invited just shows where the selectors' minds are at. Um, I think he offers probably more of that grunt work in and around the the fringes um, in the tight loose, whereas Evan Ruiz is the more flash player. He's, he's giving offloads, he's making breaks, um, and it's, it's more difficult to do that at a Springbok level than for the Stormers against, like I don't know, Scarlets or Zebra or something. Um, he had a great first game. Uh, I think it was against Connacht at the Stellenbosch Stadium, Donny Craven Stadium, uh, bouncing Mac Hansen to back to Ireland or back to Australia, depending how you look at it. Um, but since then, he's been quiet. I mean, he's had a couple of games where uh, Pia Skuman actually admitted like they had a game plan to get under his skin. And I think that's something he's going to have to get used to. Like he's seen as a target man now. Um, if they let him impose his game on them, uh, they're in trouble. So teams are now actively working on Eben. Um, Eben. Well, he basically is Eben. Evan Russ. Um, to to unsettle him, and it seems to be working at the moment. So I hope John Dobson and the Stormers coaching staff can can get that right, because for the Stormers to defend their title, they're going to need Evan Ruiz to be back at his best. Yeah, I think that's <clears throat> very very fair. Um, yeah, Andrew, do you see your kind of losers or guys that didn't impress as much as you'd like to see this week? So I, I dug into the stats a bit. Um, to to try pick my losers. Um, I'm a scientist, so I like to have data to back up my my claims. I've, I've never said that before on this podcast, because I'm usually wildly conspiratorial. Um, so I I thought I was pretty shocked at um, the two Bulls backliners who played 40 minutes each. That was Cornell Hendricks and Chris Smith. Um, between them. Between them, they had one carry for one meter, um, three turnovers conceded, one tackle, and uh, one penalty conceded. Between them, that's their that's their like their total stats together. And for for a Bulls backline, like to have one carry between two players is ridiculous. Um, yeah, just completely useless. And Chris Smith. Um, came on for Johan Horsen because of the HIA that he went off for and didn't come back on. We were waiting on the results of that concussion protocol. Um, but he came on and was completely ineffective for the Bulls. And actually, one of the one of the turnovers he conceded was spilling the ball uh, at the feet of Jeremy Lofman, the prop from, from Munster, who, who grabbed the ball through and scored a really important try to open up a gap on the leaderboard. Um, so... A real 
problematic performance from those two Bulls backliners. And the Bulls seem to be sliding backwards. I don't really know what's going on. They started off looking really good this season. Adam was talking them up as title contenders after like two games. Um, in, in Adam's defense, <laughs> in Adam's defense, they were looking good, but um, with the way they've they've slid they've slid backwards now that they're on tour, and and also with the impending departure of Marcel Coutinho, who's been one of their good players up to this point, um, it's not looking great for the Bulls right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think also making Cornell Hendricks look even worse. I think he came off at halftime and got replaced by David Creel. And then Creel was like the only Bulls backline player who seemed to do anything. He had a nice break and then later on he also scored a try. So obviously getting replaced by someone who comes on and performs just makes your performance look that much worse. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it's, the comments have been around the Bulls just haven't been the same intensity of, of team as they were in the first couple of games. So... You know, maybe they're just on tour and they're thinking about a sort. Maybe they need to get back to Fortress Lost and discover their mojo. But, but it's, it is worrying um, for supporters of the Bulls to their team kind of look a little bit lost, is maybe the best way to phrase it. Um, yeah. You did mention one of your losers um, a bit earlier, so you can shift onto that, breeze through them, and then. Yeah. Oh, so, like. The whole Bulls performance was really disappointing, but for me, I think we mentioned it last week, so it's sort of repeating a little, but again, their loose trio and the work at the breakdown was just really disappointing. And I think out of the players, Marcel Coutier, he didn't have a bad game in the sense that he didn't do anything noticeably wrong, like Chris Smith or someone, but um, he just also wasn't there. He didn't put his hand up. He wasn't doing anything noteworthy at the rucks or... So, especially as someone with that much experience and that much, um, you know, and people, captain. yeah, and people talking before, obviously before he had agreed to go to Japan and earlier in this year, people were almost outraged that he wasn't being included more in the box setup, but his performances so far just aren't meriting that sort of conversation at all. And I think that shows. And then the other area, I think, just to carry on with the other loser that I have, was the lineouts were really, really shocking. And I think most of it, Obviously, maybe not all. It's always hard to know if the um, if the lifters are also to blame. But Jan Hendrik Vessels was really, really struggling in the lineout. And when your lineout isn't functioning, especially as a Bulls team who are normally known for that being one of their strengths, um, is just not good enough. It's your core role. Like even if you're good around the park, even if you you know are ex- an explosive hooker, if you can't get your lineouts, you know we've seen it with Dweber for the Springboks. It's uh, if it's your core role. If you're not going to do that, then you're not going to get selected. So I think we'll probably see this mark come in this week. What's your more general feeling on the Yuthi Jan Hendricks Vessels um, hooker experiment? Obviously, we kind of came through schoolboys. The loose end, he's played with thigh said He's been kind of earmarked now to be a hooker. Um, what's your guys' feeling on his transition so far? Yeah, I think generally, I think he's been pretty good. I think he's, like I said, he's you know pretty explosive around the park. Um, and... Even his scrums have been pretty strong, I think. The Bulls scrum as a whole, just generally strong. Um, his lineouts before haven't always been great, but I think this was the first game where they were noticeably bad, missing uh, more more than he was getting, and that's not good enough. So if he can get yeah. the lineouts right, then I think he can move forward and he can be talked about as a prospect quite quickly, but he has to get that part right. Yeah, I suppose it's the same comment about Dweber, you know, like, can't throw straight, you can't be a hooker. 
It's kind of as simple as that. Um, yeah, is there anyone else you guys want to mention? Otherwise, I think we can get close to wrapping up there. Um, we wanted a brief mention of Alliance fullback, but I don't know if you've kind of withdrawn that comment. Uh, you know, you don't want to thank uh, that I, I will mention him. I'm hesitant to because I still like him. He's still one of my favorite players, believe it or not. But um, Andres Kutsia, and I think he's had a relatively decent season. Um, Scored a try. He scored a try. He, in fact, he had a decent game, but I bring him up as a loser because the Lions had scraped their way back into the match. It was 39-37 with, like, you know, seconds left on the clock. The Lions had a penalty, you know, just inside their own half, not a, not too central either, and he just hoofed it as hard as he could and he mistouched, like, completely. It wasn't even close. And, it, like, at that point, as a Lions fan, it's just like, no, that's unacceptable. That's just, like... Unforgivable, as that, I can that, say. That's part of the brain fade moments. Like. Yeah, but the, to be fair to him, like they still got another line out because it wasn't quite the end of the match and they kicked it back and then the line out like, malfunctioned. But it was just a really, really bad mistake. Um, and like I said, with with Quan Horn performing so well and who I see naturally as a fullback, I think a lot of pressure is going to go on him. Um, and maybe it's just the lack of decent wing options, which is keeping him in the team, despite I think decent performances. But he, as you guys know, he's got a he's got a ceiling, I think, which is not that high in terms of him. despite having played for the Springboks, you know, he's never going to be like one of the best players in the competition. Yeah, I think having a ceiling is a very kind way to describe it, in my eyes, at least. <laughs> I'm I'm slightly less complimentary, although I will acknowledge he has had a good season so far. Uh, he has, he has played above my, my expectations. Um, but yeah, okay. I, I acknowledge that he's got, he probably is playing a good role to nurture Kieran uh, Horton for, for a while, but I thought, yeah, if the Lions can get a decent wing, and I wouldn't be upset to seeing one at 15. and see him play that mentorship role from you know, maybe a little bit further from the field. I mean, did, they brought him back from Japan, right? From he's in, in yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, yeah, Phil, as a Lions fan, wouldn't you have much rather seen someone like Tyron Green coming back? I, I think if that was an option, then uh, undoubtedly uh, all Lions fans would have preferred to see Tyron Green. But you know, <laughs> um, I don't think that that was, unfortunately, an option. Him just having won you know, the English League and on quite a high. Um, but yes, I would have preferred to see Tyron Green. And... Um, yeah, I, I like like I said and like I said, the just getting a better wing option because right now we bought in Stian Pina when Edwell Fenomova was injured and he's regressed quite a lot. He's not playing very well, so just not yeah. having a good, other good wing options is hurting quite a bit at the moment. Well, I, I think that's fair. Um, no, I think that that went pretty well as a new segment. We'll probably make that stick. We'll see if we get any comments or reviews or hate mail um, around it. But personally, I think that went quite well. Um, yeah, happy to wrap it up there, guys. If you don't have anything else to add, um, cool. Then thanks very much for listening, everyone. We will see you all next week. Cheers.